right, we are live, everybody. Welcome back to Cloud Unfiltered. This is Ali Omagasu. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Pete Johnson, hanging out in upstate Michigan. How are things, sir? We've got a beautiful summer day here in middle of nowhere, Michigan, Allie, as always. And I'm excited because whenever we have a CNCF guest on, I get to break out my CNCF fidget spinner, which is like, <laughs> people are jealous when they see me having it. I know on audio that that's not... It looks it, like it, the little logo of yeah, Kubernetes, Yeah, the right? Kubernetes logo in convenient fidget spinner form. And it's it's got like nice metal ball bearings and it says cncf.io on it and... You had to get it at, it's like a six month period where if you found the CNCF booth at a, at a trade show, you've had it. And yeah, now people are jealous and I may or may not have cracked my iPhone screen with it at one point. <laughs> you take an absurd amount of pride in that trinket. Sorry. I know, I do. I don't know why, but I do. <laughs> well, I'm glad things are beautiful there. I'm in Southern California, as you know, and things are not beautiful here. If you remember from when you lived here, we have what's called the June gloom. Yes. So if you live in a coastal area, the heat inland slurps in the clouds from out over the water, and we spend June shrouded in darkness. Not that fun. Anyway, let me get around to in in introducing our guest. She's the new leader of the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. You probably already saw that in the many emails and announcements that went out, but uh, that wasn't enough. I mean, the announcements were great, but we wanted to hear a little bit more from her, so we have invited her to be on the show. She has graciously accepted, and so I'd like to welcome Priyanka Sharma. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Allison and Pete. You are very welcome. I should say your title is GM of the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, not leader. Um, <laughs> like that's a big yes, that's a big role to take on. Can you give us any insight into as to what happened? We certainly had your we had your predecessor on. We enjoyed his company greatly. He enlightened us. Was he moving on? Were you plotting to take over and you overthrew him? Was it a hostile coup? What, is, what has happened here? And, and, and if you can let us know, that would be great. Yes, Dan's in a dungeon somewhere after my crazy coup. No, not at all. Far from that, actually. So I've known Dan since I got involved with the CNCF or Cloud Native Computing Foundation in 2016. I was part of this project called Open Tracing that uh, and became the third project to join the foundation. So it was early days. And since then, I took on a role of uh, doing a lot of education work around what is tracing, what is observability. Back in the day, we were even talking about things like what are microservices, you know? So it was a different time. Uh, and Dan was always an enabler and supporter for me. Uh, and I've always loved working with him. And the thing is that anything Dan does, he does it amazing. So right now, what we all in the world really urgently need is a public health initiative that can help us in the unprecedented times that we find ourselves. So Dan is starting the Linux Foundation Public Health Initiative, which obviously takes up more than most of his time. And that's where he's spending all his energies. And that's kind of the reason where I came in. I have to say that it's really nice that he's supporting me 100%. He's spending a percentage of his time on CNCF still, guiding me, sharing what he knows, and also taking on taking care of some initiatives that are very meaty and time-consuming while I come up to speed. So it's all a very happy family, and I did not, did not do a coup. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so not as exciting as a coup. But really neat. I did not know that there was a Linux public health initiative in motion. So, so now having taken over in a peaceful manner, 
are you trying to take the the foundation in a new direction? Is it nope? We were I like where we were sailing, and I'm st steering the ship there. What 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 can we expect in the next say year? Expect the unexpected. <laughs> okay. No, I am partially kidding. The reason I say expect the unexpected because is because how many of us planned for 2020 to be like this? I don't think. Zero. Right. <laughs> and so uh, taking on this role has come at a time that is uh, very tumultuous for not just the ecosystem, not just the community, but for the world, everyone. So all our sort of uh, predisposed notions, etc., are breaking. And that's fine, though, because we as a community are very tenacious and we're all working together. One of the examples is KubeCons have been a huge success for our ecosystem. It's where all of us get there, get together, meet. You all, you all have been there clearly many times. And those have to go virtual for at least the one that's coming soon in August. KubeCon EU virtual, we're calling it. So there's a lot of work that needs to go into it, which is by nature different from what we were doing last year or the year before. So the luxury of keeping the ship steering in the same direction isn't there, unfortunately. If it were, and it will come back to that, I think, there is a lot of awesome work that has happened here. CNCF, now that I'm in there, for the small size of the organization, it has a ginormous impact. And I want to build upon what Dan and Chris have done and take it towards the second wave of Cloud Native. In my opinion, we have done a phenomenal job of Kubernetes becoming the mainstay of container orchestration and becoming a platform. What I think can happen from here onwards is deeper developer engagement, deeper education, especially around the fact that there's Kubernetes, but as a platform, it's fostered so much more. As you may know, there's not one graduated CNCF project, but 10. So there's a lot more uh, conversations we can have, a lot more help we can provide to everybody on this sort of ever moving cloud native journey. How many CNCF projects are there total right now? Like incubated, graduated, all that. If you include incubated, graduated, and sandbox, I think we're 48. And um, we accepted 11 sandbox projects yesterday, I think, or two days ago. So I don't know if that changes the number. But before, before that, last I checked, it was like around 48. Now, I, I do want to come back around to uh, talk to you about KubeCon Europe. But Pete, I think you had some questions in, in general about the setup at, at uh, CNCF and well, the yeah, projects. and I guess you know I get fascinated by people's personal journeys here. I guess let me ask it this way: w Was it harder to stop being a contributor on Open Tracing, or was it harder to take on this GM job? I would say it was a little harder to stop being a contributor on Open Tracing, and the reason I would say that is because. I was so involved. I was so invested from day one into that project. I wouldn't say day one, let's call it day three because mm -hmm. um, Ben Sigelman, Yurish Koro, and a few other folks definitely had a solid baseline when I started working with them on it. Um, but uh, by the time I left Lightstep, the company I was working at to join GitLab, um, we had really built on upon the momentum for open tracing. Uh, back then, like we had, I would say, quite successfully educated a lot of folks on the concepts of distributed systems, the challenges that come with observing them, what is observability versus monitoring, and then finally, what's distributed tracing and why you need to use it. And that had been a matter of personal pride. It was also a matter of personal pride because 
I actually was not a systems person before. So being able to somehow go through that steep learning curve and understand was just an awesome experience. I mean, a lot of it, the success goes to my teachers, people like Ben Sigelman and Yurish Kuro, because I don't think I could have done it on my own. But it was a it was a big big part of my identity at that time. When I joined GitLab, I was drawn to the entrepreneurial spirit and I'd known Sid, the founder, since my own startup days. So I was very eager to take on that role, absolutely. But I definitely missed the open tracing community a little bit. I made up for it, though, because I was uh, the director of Cloud Native Alliances. So a lot of my role was to stay connected in the CNCF ecosystem and make the right connections, also evangelize GitLab and be a thought leader in the space. So what I lost in project closeness, I gained in a greater brand recognition, a greater sure. impact. When it comes to joining as GM, it's definitely a much bigger task for me up ahead, but I now get to be 100% cloud native. So that's just, that's great. And Sid, by the way, really supports me and all of GitLab has been super supportive. So that's been really nice. Very cool. Yeah, the the, the, the bigger Lego blocks jobs are are different, but I mean, you, you, you can just hear when you can hear in your voice when you talk about it, the passion you had for that open tracing and to have to put that on a shelf for a while is always difficult. Yeah. Um, so this might be a loaded question given your given your um, your history with open tracing, but and this might might segue into what Ali wanted to ask you about the upcoming event. But what are what are like some of the up up and coming projects, either the ones that you just approved for Sandbox or some of the ones that are in different state, states of incubation? Like what are what are some of your your favorite uh, projects that are going on now? Ah, uh, I don't like picking favorites. <laughs> <laughs> Because one thing I've learned being uh, joining in this role of GM, I'm here to support everyone. Sure. I would say I'm really happy to see Spiffy and Spire move to incubation state. That recently happened. And I think that's that's an important piece of technology. And it's also a piece of tech that needs a little bit more, I think, discussing education. Being in an incubation stage, they can now really go after that piece of you know, the project life cycle. CNCF supports uh, projects that are in incubation with a lot of marketing help, with a lot of like education, de developer relations type help. So I'm excited to see what's going to happen there. I think everybody loves Harbor. So Harbor graduating is great news for like, like who doesn't think that? Um, but yeah, those are just two off the top of my head that I know I'm very proud of, but that does not mean anybody else is less important or less. <laughs> so for listeners who don't know, can you quickly, in a sentence or two, tell us what Spiffy and I, I know what Harbor is, but some people won't. Spiffy, what was the other one? Uh, Spiffy, Spire, like go together. Okay. Um, and uh, so basically Spiffy is the specification, Spire is an implementation. So I'll share my knowledge of Spiffy and Spire. Probably the folks who built it will be like, you butchered that description. But, <laughs> so basically it's all about authenticating identity in complex distributed systems. Things just with everything, things were simpler in monolithic days. I think we can, we all just like know that theme by now. When it comes to more complex distributed systems, identity management and authorization gets more tricky. Just that many more touch points, et cetera, et cetera. Spiffy is the specification that helps you, that's based on uh, certificates that helps you 
set it up correctly. And Spire is the implementation of how to do identity using this certificate methodology. I've actually known the Spiffy and Spire folks for a while. Uh, I met them and uh, some of them when they were at a company called Cytale, which has since been acquired by HPE. And the nice thing is I recently talked to them and they remain just as passionate, if not more, about the project, about the ecosystem they're building around it. So I'm really excited for what we're going to see in that space. Cool. Well, thank you for taking us down that road and helping us understand what those ones are. So we've, we've touched a couple times on the fact that, that this coming KubeCon Cloud Native Con Europe is going to be virtual. Now, we, Pete and I, are at Cisco, and so we just went through that, doing our first virtual Cisco Live. And I don't know what your experience was with Pete, but my, my experience was fantastic. The sessions I attended were great. From an attendance standpoint, it was great. So I was really excited to see you were doing it. I thought it's interesting, though, because, you know, your event is so, there's so many developers there and, and operators, and I know how those guys work. I used to work in a nest of them at a startup. And it is a very, um, even though they're working online, I feel like it is a very community-oriented activity, actually, writing code. You know, someone runs into a problem, he kind of, hey, I'm, uh, such and such isn't working. I'm getting an error message on such and such. Somebody will say, hey, did you try this? Yeah, I already tried it. Somebody else says, well, why don't you try this? Yeah, I already tried it. And then five minutes later, there's six or seven of them crowded around the screen, and they're trying to sort out the problem together. And so I think of it as a different audience than the audience for a Cisco Live. And how are you guys, how are you guys trying to accommodate them? And what will the, will the number of sessions be comparable? Are there any keynote speakers you want to make us aware of? All of that. Yes, absolutely. So you're absolutely right that the cloud native community is a very, it's a doer community. It's a builder community. So uh, people come together to solve complex problems because those problems have not been if everything was commoditized by now, like we wouldn't need a CNCF community, right? But we do because we're constantly solving bigger and bigger issues as systems get more complex and as they need to be more resilient with a lot of workflows moving online. So you're absolutely right on the nature of the uh, community there. I think the KubeCon virtual is, of course, we all miss, right? That one place where you all get together, have a great time, learn something, meet cool people. It's an awesome experience. I mean, you have your fidget spinner from there, I bet, Pete. And I love those fidget spinners. That's know, like right? OG stuff. That's OG stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it. It's so epic. But yeah, so we cannot recreate that in virtual, right? Something that we're coming to understand and learn as we sort of move this boulder up the hill <laughs> is that it is a false premise to hope to replicate a physical event online. It makes more sense to try to utilize what an online engagement model gives us. So the this KubeCon EU virtual will be an iteration of us figuring all that out. We will still have a way for people to engage with each other, for folks to have some serendipity in running, running into each other. Folks will still have amazing talk sessions. The process is the same in terms of evaluating talks, pretty much the same number of talks, maybe like slightly condensed, but nothing meaningful. But things are gonna be different in that for 24 hours, the platform will be completely available and you can like 
choose between talks and like kind of go asynchronous a little bit as opposed to having to attend in that moment. There's also going to be a lot more like fun games. So, you know, you can win swag, even you, you can see cool product demos by sponsors. So there's a lot going on, but also still fleshing out all the things we want to do around diversity and inclusion, how we want to support our world in general and the very tumultuous times we've gone through. So uh, it's a creative work in progress. I think that as we go along, like later in the year, next year, virtual will slowly start becoming a part of any physical event that happens. I'm not just talking KubeCon at this point, because the one positive of going virtual is that you, it, you've leveled the playing fields for anyone who has an internet connection that's stable enough to attend, right? And that's amazing. Suddenly, like, you know, if you think about, let's say, a new parent, they might find it really difficult to travel from, I'm just going to make this up, Buenos Aires to Amsterdam for a conference and stay there a whole week, right? But now they can be at home and still have the same education and information available. So I think it's a great equalizer, this online event thing. And we can kind of see a lot more diverse diversity, a lot more voices, and I'm really looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to it too. I mean, I, I absolutely love a good, a good KubeCon, and I think the last one I was in was in San Diego. And it, it was interesting. You guys were really focusing a lot on uh, mental health and wellness at that one. And I felt like you'd made huge strides. You know, there was the, there was the quiet dark room you could go in where there, you know, there was massages you could get. There were dogs for petting. Puppies! Uh, <laughs> right. People lost their minds over the puppies. <laughs> um, and I, I was thinking, I suppose you won't need that because, you know, you're in your home. You're able to be quite comfortable. I have a cat right next to me. Oh, nice. Pete, Pete has four chihuahuas, which I'm sure is very comforting and calming. A big dog. He's very <laughs> healthy and calming. <laughs> oh, you do? Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's an interesting difference. Are you guys, I assume it will be less expensive to attend this one than to attend a typical live conference. Is that the case? Yes, that's absolutely the case. It's only a nominal $75 ticket. And if somebody has a, has a financial hardship, they can tell us and we will absolutely help them. So it's orders of magnitude cheaper than an in-person event. I will say in terms of organizing it, you know, it feels like, oh, it should be cheap and easy. But given all the variables we're dealing with, no, no. No, no, no. <laughs> it's, it's tough. It's tough for any event organizer today. This 2020 is tough for everyone. But yes, it is much cheaper for attendees. We are also ex we're exploring ways to make the content and an event available to as many people as possible. The, the $75 just goes towards supporting supporting a foundation that's putting on an event with lots of you know financial commitments towards that happens in a 2020. Also, it helps us know what are like, you know, the companies that are committing, you know, it's like, it's like, you're serious, you're gonna come, you're gonna engage, you're gonna spend time, you're gonna learn, you won't just forget about it, you know? So that's kind of the plan right now. Well, and I would think most attendees, if they can talk their, you know, managers into two or three thousand dollars, I don't remember what it cost uh, last time, then they can they can talk them into the seventy five bucks. I would hope, um, you know, to yeah and to attend this amazing. I mean, it's an amazing learning experience, right? It's it's. I assume that all those all those breakout sessions are still incredible opportunities to learn, even if you aren't standing there and you can't walk up and ask the the presenter afterward. Well, what did you mean by well, doing actually, this on the you line? can. You can. Yes. So that's a key part that I personally really cared about, which is that 
to be speakers should be able to engage with the audience even better online right because a lot of constraints of the physical world are removed and so there's going the speakers are going to be available after their sessions on the chat functionality to just talk to you answer questions help out in addition, I'd say uh, to your point about it's a great learning experience, the really deep dive tutorials we used to do, they're still happening. So the things that you used to get for a lot more cost is like deep educational learning experiences still happening. In addition, we're also talking about anybody who attends has the opportunity to take the certified Kubernetes developer and certified Kubernetes admin exams for a much cheaper price just to bake that educational thing in altogether. So for anyone who wants their teams to learn and learn quickly, I think actually this is the best opportunity, like run and grab it. That is great. That's really great news, I'm sure, for a lot of listeners. That's a big, a big news item there. Pete, I've been hogging up the conversation. No, that's okay. I, I love that you're embracing the difference. Because I, I think that's in part what made Cisco Live as successful as it was, not to top that too much, is that there are some things that you just can't replicate, so don't try, but try to do these other things that you could. Like, we, we went off the hook with musical guests for reasons that still aren't completely clear to me, but, <laughs> like, but... We had the like, chain smokers! Right, we had, oh we went gosh. way over the top on that, right? Not and, like, lot. you could never afford that lineup of people... Yeah. live yeah. right Sting, but if you could do it virtually who else uh staying the chain smokers with a joan jet piece there was there were three or four amazing bands that yeah wow ridic that's amazing yeah. it was wow but i i wanted to get in i hit in a little bit on on the the education piece of that and and to take a little different spin like on the need for the education piece so like in the early days of Kubernetes, one of the things that was so attractive about it was it, it did so many things for you, right? Like as, as microservices kind of began their infancy on VMs and we started to move them to containers and Kubernetes would do things like figure out what, what host was best to run your pod on and it would do like rolling updates for you and it would do all these things for you that in the VM world you had to do for yourself and, and made things simpler. But as Kubernetes begins to continue its, its, its journey to being mainstream, what has come with that is at a necessity has been some complexity, right? And there's all these, you know, the, the fact that there's, there's so many projects now and you have to glue them together in different ways and there's different alternatives and so forth. And like the learning curve feels like it's a lot steeper now than it was say four years ago. So do, do you have concerns about how, how tough that learning curve is now? Or how do you think the community is responding to that in terms of all the choice that you have? Sure. So to answer this question, I'm going to take off my metaphorical hat as GM of CNCF and speak to you as Priyanka ecosystem member. Okay, um, fair enough. And the reason for that is I am four weeks into this role and a lot of the things I'm going to say are my opinions. You know, I'm still learning all the details to like, speak definitively. Um, and so that's, I'd like to speak to this as just me, my personal opinion. So I think what you're talking about is somewhat like the evolution from sure. Kubernetes from product to platform. So when it's now, it's very much Kubernetes, the platform that everybody is trying to utilize for their container orchestration, for their just general move to systems and a very complex workloads. As an example, like we are working a lot with telcos. So I literally have been on two calls per week where I am getting basically 
educated on networking and how telcos are going to go cloud native, how Kubernetes plays into their very complex ecosystem. It's really important to like, you know, keep things separate from core Kubernetes. Yes, but everybody's starting to build on it as a platform. I think another thing that's happened that is perhaps sort of, if not aided, like just like parallelized this uh, happening is that there's a lot of managed Kubernetes uh, or easier way to use Kubernetes offerings out sure. there. I come from GitLab and one of our big uh, value props was it's like a couple of clicks and any developer can deploy directly to a Kubernetes cluster. It took away that complexity that you were bound to encounter. So I think there's like more products in the market that support ease of use. So maybe that also means you don't need to make the core that easy. But also, if you think about the users on day one of when Kubernetes was open source to people now, it's like a different demographic. So a lot of the folks who were utilizing it back then, the early adopters were already pretty comfortable in the DevOps paradigm. Sure. So for them, it is like generally going to be easier. For any new developers, it is going to feel a little uh, more complex. And I think, but I do think that the industry has stepped up to provide ways to do it easier. That's my Priyanka individual perspective. Four weeks okay. ago. That's fair that that it's it's pieces of an, the ecosystem as opposed to the final answer necessary. Is, is that a fair way to characterize that? It can be a managed service that it, that's a commercial offering or it could be someone did something internally, et cetera, et cetera. Choice is the point. Then. Choice. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I still think that the original Kubernetes, which we perceived as straightforward, was straightforward for like the pro DevOps person. Sure. I think any Kubernetes in the hands of developers has already always been an objective that we've had. It's not a new objective that now we have to come up with because things got too difficult. It's just that a lot more people need to use it. And yes, the product has been growing. So. Well, and that's where things like the certification program becomes important to level set on what you need to know as a ops versus dev versus whatever else. A hundred percent. I could not uh, sort of recommend it enough. In fact, in my previous team at GitLab, one of the my team members was CK, CKAD, and it was so helpful. He, You could trust him with the answers. It was so great. So I highly recommend it. What do you see the, the, the future of, of CNCF as it relates to, you know, my favorite topic, which is serverless, <laughs> right? So there was serverless working group, Google's not playing as nice with Knative as a lot of people would like to, to think, including myself. But you've got components, like my favorite project right now is Cloud Events, which is an important part of a bigger serverless ecosystem. Like, how, how do you see that playing out? Or, or are there a couple of different ways it could potentially play out, do you think? I think the serverless ecosystem is definitely, you know, coming along. It's by no means at a point of like, okay, things are decided and these are the projects in play. Sure. I would say for CNC, like CNCF remains committed to being a neutral home for any project to come in and be used by all kinds of organizations and be worked upon by all kinds of organizations in a safe, well-governed environment. We do not get over-involved in the day-to-day -day of any project. We, we just ask for some pretty straightforward things. And I think the success of the strategy, which has been championed by Dan and Chris, is, is obvious. Things have worked well. Our ecosystem is doing very good. So we welcome any technology that should find a home in CNCF. Besides that, I think the next year or so, let's see how it all plays out. But serverless is definitely a key part of the different kinds of cloud native workloads. 
and uh, we'll just we'll, I think it, it's still shaking out. That's what I'll say. Okay, fair enough. All right, good questions, Pete. So, um, Priyanka, is there anything I haven't covered that you want to be sure to get out about what's either what's happening or what's coming or just anything that's cooking over at CNCF? Yes. Um, what I would like to say is, I think with success comes a lot of uh, interest, attention, frothiness. And there are a lot of folks, all of us on this call, we're in this ecosystem. There's lots of different kinds of you know, folks who join in. There's end users, there's project creators, maintainers, uh, vendors, etc. I believe we're, we all have you know, particular lenses, but we all have the same larger perspective of improving how software is built delivered and maintained. And so we just need to remember that and know that we're all hashtag team cloud native. And I really believe that's the new way we're all going to do things like we're all in it together. Let's please remember that and keep moving forward. So that's all I'd say. Nice. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Priyanka. It has really been a pleasure to get to know you. I look forward to meeting you in person once those things are happening again someday. And so, yeah, thanks for sharing uh, what's going on with CNCF. It's been terrific. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation and, of course, seeing an OG fidget spinner. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. Bye, Pete. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much.